Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're coming to the Lord's table tonight. And I want us to consider Him who died for us, who rose again, but He didn't just rise from the dead. He ascended into heaven for us. Tonight, we consider the ascension of Jesus Christ. This is no frivolous or minor subject matter. This is part of the great mystery of our faith. It's vital for our salvation. And brethren, it's glorious. It's glorious. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Amen. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Amen. And that's what we want to think about tonight before we come to the Lord's table, that a stupendous event took place 1973 years ago at Bethany when the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth who had spent 33 and a half years in this world, walking to and fro, eating and drinking, being tired, sleeping, being touched and held by his disciples, using doorways because he had a body, ascended up into heaven before their very eyes, all the way through the interstellar spaces with a glorified body and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's in heaven right now and he's watching this assembly and he's here with us by the presence of his spirit. And yea, even the seven spirits of God, he's here. And I want you to think about him rising up before his disciples. Can you imagine those poor fishermen that he had chosen three and a half years earlier as it says he blessed them and he rose up into heaven? Let's see what the Bible has to say about it. And let's see if we can take ourselves back 1973 years to our Savior and see him ascend into heaven and be brought before the Ancient of Days and offer himself without spot to the eternal God for our eternal redemption. Amen. And be accepted and sit down. That is our Savior. And we're going to remember his death tonight. But brethren, his death isn't enough if he hadn't risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. This is a mystery of our faith, but do you know what? It's no mystery to you because it's been taught to you through the gospel. This is no mystery to us. But if you were to go look at that rose on the back table, you'll know nothing about the ascension of Jesus Christ. If you go out with a telescope and look at the stars, you'll not learn about the ascension of Jesus Christ. It's all by revelation. Therefore, it's a mystery of the faith, but it's been revealed to you. You have a love for the Word of God, and it's been taught to you without controversy. This is great mystery, how a man could stand and levitate himself off the ground by the power of the Holy Spirit and go straight up into the clouds, straight up into the presence of God with a body and sit down at the right hand of God. Let's see what the Bible says. Children, the ascension, ascension 
When you ascend something, that means you go up it. When you ascend, you go higher. The ascension of Jesus Christ means when he went up into heaven. It's that simple. That's what we mean by the ascension of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about him rising from the dead and coming out of the tomb. We're talking about what happened 40 days later. Here's the chronology. Jesus died on the 14th of Abib. He was in the ground three days and three nights. He came out on the night of the 17th. He then spent 40 days with his disciples, showing them by many infallible proofs that he was indeed alive. Touch me. A spirit hath not flesh and bones. He ate and drank before them. And then he ascended up into heaven, and they had seven days to worship him for it. And then he had been extolled and exalted at the right hand of God and given his eternal inheritance and crowned with glory and honor far above all principalities and powers in this universe. And he poured out the Holy Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. And Peter preached and said, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath poured forth this which ye now see and hear. That's 50 precious days, brethren. 50 precious days. Are you ready? Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It's all by revelation. So we go and look at what the Word of God has to say about it. A stupendous event. They couldn't enter our atmosphere yesterday. It was too hard. He was moving a whole lot faster than 12,500 miles an hour. He went right through our atmosphere. And he didn't have protective shielding on. He had the grace of the Holy Spirit with him on his glorified body. Here's what Acts 1 tells us. I want to start at verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. This is Luke writing the book of Acts. Luke writing to another Greek man named Theophilus. The former book that I wrote you, Theophilus, told about everything Jesus did until the day in which he was taken up. There it is. To go up is to ascend. When Jesus was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Theophilus, the first book I wrote you, the book of Luke, that had 24 chapters, that book told everything that Jesus did until the day he went up. And the last four verses of Luke chapter 24 are about Jesus being taken up into heaven. And so Luke begins with the very same theme right here in Acts chapter 1. But notice what he tells us here. Jesus was here for 40 days, and he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs. Did they touch him? Did they say, here are my hands, stick your fingers in the holes. Here is my side, thrust your hand in. He ate in front of them. He drank in front of them. Sometimes it was individuals or a couple. Sometimes it was a room full of the 12, the 11, the 12. It doesn't matter, does it? Because we both understand what I'm talking about. I hope you'll remember that when it comes to Bible prophecy. How about 500 brethren at once? Does it tell that? 
Yes, it does. It tells us that in 1 Corinthians 15. So Jesus showed himself alive. He was buried on Wednesday night. Children, did you know that? Jesus wasn't buried on Good Friday. Jesus was buried on Wednesday night around 6 o'clock, just before a Sabbath day began the next day. And he was in the ground three days and three nights, 72 hours, and he rose from the dead at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Because when the women got there early, on Sunday morning, the first day of the week, while it was still dark, he was long gone. Don't worry about that. That's a, time, that's a subject for another time, but I want you to remember that. There's two, in the three days that he was in the ground, there were two Sabbath days. The Sabbath day of the Passover feast, the weekly Sabbath day, and a day in between them. On the day in between them, the women went and bought and prepared spices to anoint him with on the first day of the week. They couldn't have done it on the weekly Sabbath, and they couldn't have done it on the Passover Sabbath. They did it on the day in between. If you study the four Gospels, you'll find all three days. And we know that without even studying, don't we? Because Jesus said, I'll give you one sign that I'm the Son of God. I will be in the ground three days and three nights like Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights, and I will come out of the ground. And we believe him. Amen. We believe him. Now, when Jesus was laid in the tomb by Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, his divine nature, which is the word of God, was still omnipresent everywhere. His human nature, his human spirit, where had it gone? To heaven. Didn't he say, Father, into thy hands I commit and commend my spirit? It went to heaven. He also told the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. The human spirit of Jesus went to heaven. The body of Jesus, it was now divided, which is what happens at every physical death. It was now separated, and the body was in the tomb. Seventy-two hours later, the spirit, the human spirit of Jesus Christ, came back into that body and was reunited by the power of God. And that body came forth out of that tomb with the spirit intact, reunited again, and glorified. It was now different. His body was different. It behaved differently. Yes, he still ate for the benefit of his disciples. His wounds were, were kind of healed, weren't they? You would not have asked somebody to stick fingers in your wound after you had been decomposing in the ground for three days and three nights after hanging on a cross. But he was already being glorified. He took his body and moved into rooms where all the doors were closed. But it was not an ethereal body. It was a real body because he said, grab it and touch me. It is not an ethereal body. It is a real body. Grab it and touch it. Now, I can't, you know what? I've just about run the limit of my ability to tell you about his body. So don't ask me very many questions. Anthony? Anthony's a problem sometimes. It's a very good problem. You know what I mean. He writes me questions by email sometimes that are, that are tough. But don't ask... I don't know much more about the body of Jesus, but I know that he was it. Weren't they locked in a room? The upper room, they were locked for fear of the Jews. And Jesus all of a sudden was standing in the midst of them. And we aren't talking about a spirit because he said, don't be afraid. I'm not a look at me. God was glorifying him. That's part of the ascension, the change in his body and spirit combination. 
he was being elevated to a more glorious body and spirit combination than we have. But it was the same one, just changed. As we shall be changed, because we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, the Bible tells us in 1 John. There were other saints resurrected at the same time. Did you know that? Did you know that when that earthquake came while Jesus was hanging on the cross and the, and the sky became dark for three hours, there was an earthquake that tore rocks and tombs were open. And when Jesus rose from the dead, guess what? Other saints rose from the dead. Don't ask me more about that one either. I wish there was more on that one. That's been a problem in my studying on this subject. I wanted to know more about who it was. I think David would have wanted to see his son. Do you think David would have wanted to see his son? But see, I can't tell you that David saw his son. But they came out of the tombs and went into the city and were seen of many there. It tells us that in Matthew chapter 27. Believest thou this? Do you all believe this? Amen. There's not much in the way of historical writings about this fact. Do you still believe it? Amen. Oh, it's good to preach to a Bible-believing church. It's easy to preach to them. Because you know what? I can't tell you anymore. It's Matthew chapter 27. He tore the tombs open. He rent the rocks with his earthquake. And when he rose from the dead, others rose from the dead. By the Do you know what? His power was so great it just went through the cemetery. That's right. Because he was able to blow that stone away and come out of his own tomb. What are we saying? He tore the bars away. I love that expression. Anybody ever picks that song? You can know what the pastor's enjoying the most in the entire thing. He tore the bars away. And he came out of that tomb, but the residual effect of his resurrection was so powerful. There were others that were resurrected as well and came into the city for further proof that some great things were happening. When I said stupendous event 1,973 years ago, I meant it. Amen. Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but it gets better than that. These are all facts. We believe them because the Bible says so. Amen. And we will live and we will die and we will face our Creator based on these words, won't we? Because the Bible says so. We have made a choice. We are Bible Christians. Our faith rests on the Bible. We believe the Bible. And everything that I'm telling you is from the Bible. Because none of us in this room have seen this ever happen, nor did we see it happen to him, that he ascended up into heaven. But the Bible tells us he did. Amen. Come to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. Verse 11. Mary Magdalene, according to the first verse of this chapter, has gone to the tomb to anoint her Savior's body. She finds it empty. She runs and tells Simon Peter. Peter and John come and check it out for themselves. They run away to tell the rest of the eleven. She's still there, verse 11. Are you with me? Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher. And seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back, and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? 
Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. What a wonderful, wonderful little event that occurred in the garden where he was buried between him and Mary Magdalene. If you ever feel like a sinner, Jesus appeared first of all to Mary Magdalene. Whom seekest thou? Can we all fall into the category of Mary Magdalene? That the greatest desire of our soul is the Lord Jesus Christ? All she cared about was her Savior. That is our goal, brethren. Tonight and every night and every day for our lives is to be like Mary Magdalene in her obsession and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said in verse 17, Touch me not? Did he have somebody that couldn't be touched? No. Did he really mean literally, specifically, don't touch me at all? I'm poisonous. Don't. No laughter. I have an ethereal body. You can't touch me yet? No. He was saying because of her great affection for her Savior, Don't hug me now. Listen, I've only got 40 days left before I go back to my father and your father and my God and your God. Go tell the other disciples so they can share in this good news. That is what he meant. Now, how do we know that's what he meant? Because if you go to Matthew 27, they grabbed him. They grabbed him by his feet. The women fell down at his feet and grabbed him. They touched him. There wasn't anything wrong with touching him. He was just putting off a great deal of affection for the time being for them to go tell the good news and to share it with others, not just... You know what we would be tempted to do, to stay there and spend as long as we could with our Lord. But it was to go back and tell the disciples that he was risen from the dead and that he had some words for them. And aren't the words precious? Look what he said. Children, I ascend. Now, he wasn't ascending at that moment, but he was about to ascend in 40 days. He didn't ascend that day, nor the next day. He ascended in 40 days, because that night he appeared at their meeting. And it tells us that in verse 19. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. He didn't ascend to his father, but look at those words, brethren. I ascend unto my father and your father. Mm -hmm. Are we really the brothers of Jesus Christ? Do you hear that? Mm -hmm. I ascend to my father and your father. God is my father as he is your father. Yes, there were some differences, but he's the father of both of us. I ascend to my God and your God. 
And guess who got to bear that news? Was it Peter? Was it John? It was Mary Magdalene. Back to the eleven to reveal this to them. The point here is, I am going back to my Father, as I told you many times. If you read John 6, John 14, John 15, John 16, Jesus says, I go to my Father. Jesus said, I go to my Father many times. Here he's reconfirming, I ascend to my Father and your Father, but not yet. But let's not waste this time with just you and me. Go tell the disciples. Spread the good news. Don't hold me now. Let's go get the rest of them and they can all hold me. Because he said, here I am, touch me. There was nothing wrong with that body. And I want you to ever read that passage and think anything like that. The words appear that way, but you know, that's why we read the word of God distinctly and give the sense. And hopefully cause the hearers to understand the reading. I hope that we've done that. Mm -hmm. That you understand the reading, exactly what Jesus was saying to her. You can go other places and see that they did touch her. This very same day he's going to say, touch me. The next week he's going to say, touch me. He didn't go to heaven immediately. I want to tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ and your soul. You will never be lost if you wait upon the Lord Jesus and look for him. Because I read in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28 that he is coming for those that are looking for his appearing. And this woman was looking for him. And he went to her first. There is no one too low and no one too great of a sinner to have the Lord Jesus Christ come to you. You will never be lost if you are looking for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is coming for those that love his appearing. The Bible tells us that about five times. The rest of this world is not looking for his appearing. And when he appears, they're going to be very surprised. He's not on a crucifix and he's not in a manger. And he's not coming with his heart broken more than anyone in this nation for what happened yesterday morning. That's what the bishop of St. John's Episcopal said this morning in worship. The heart of God is broken more than anyone in this nation over what happened yesterday. Acts 1. Back to Acts 1. Verse 9 this time. And when he had spoken these things, this is at the end of 40 days, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Amen. Believest thou this? Amen. They saw him visibly go up before them and into a cloud, and they're standing there staring. They beheld him while it happened as he rose up before them. This event happened. I don't care if it's not in your history books. This event happened. It's one of the greatest events in the history of this world. For God, manifest in the flesh, went back to heaven and did it visibly in front of his disciples. 
Don't ask me how he passed through our atmosphere and out of it and into the interstellar spaces and past our planetary system and through the Milky Way galaxy and all the way into heaven. Because I can't tell you. But he did it, and I believe it. I believe it more than anything that anyone else can tell me outside of this Bible. Because I believe this more than my other five senses can register. You can pick this pulpit up and club me over the head with it, and I'll still not be sure if I wasn't imagining a headache. What do I mean by that? These senses I trust less than I do the Word of God. Because right. these senses deceive me. They watched him go up into a cloud and disappear. Mark 16, quickly with me. Mark 16. Now this verse isn't in the better translations. So maybe I shouldn't even have turned you to it, but I thought we'd read it from the King James Bible anyway. Verses 9 through the end of the chapter aren't in the better translations. I speak as a fool for all any of you listening by a tape. We believe the King James Bible to be the Word of God and every other translation to be a fraud in the English language. Mark 16, verse 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, He was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. (coughs) And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Let's go to Luke 24. Let's see Luke's version of it. The ascension into heaven of our Lord Jesus Christ. And He's there at this hour, seated at the right hand of God, having fellowship with us tonight by His Spirit, watching this assembly, walking among the candlesticks of His churches. And we're going to observe His death in just a moment. Remember it until He comes. And He's coming just like He left, visibly, bodily. He's coming for us. Verse 50 of Luke 24, And He led them out as far as to Bethany. Oh, Luke, you're giving us some details, you good doctor, you. Details. He tells us where it was. A place. Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Oh, brethren, wouldn't you do what's next? And they worshipped him. Was, Was this proof that you're God? When you disappear straight up while you're watching and go into heaven? Is that pretty good evidence that you're God? They worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Can we praise and bless God tonight that we know this fact, this mystery of the gospel, that the rest of the world is ignorant of, that Jesus ascended up into heaven? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. You know what you're going to have to do for Revelation chapter 5? You're going to have to go home and listen to the Messiah because I am in trouble. It won't hurt you, though. I want. Do you know how many verses there are in chapter 4 and 5 of Revelation? My ambition is ten times what the clock allows me. Revelation, Acts 2.33. Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost. Let's go over the, the, the timeline again. Jesus dies on a Wednesday night, the 14th, of the month that they came out of Egypt. Three days and three nights in the ground, buried, dead, body, spirit in heaven. 
He rises from the dead at around 6 o'clock on Saturday evening. We've had three days since his death. He then spends 40 days showing by many infallible proofs that he is indeed alive. So now we're out 43 days. And for seven days, the apostles are in Jerusalem, as we just read, worshiping and praising the Lord with great joy because they saw their Savior ascend to his Father and their Father, his God and their God. And on the seventh day, which would be day number 50, what might Pentecost mean? 50. Jesus poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost on his church. And so we have this verse. And I've already quoted it to you once, but I want you to see it. Acts 2.33. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this, which ye now see and hear. All of you men that I'm preaching to can see that all these disciples are speaking in languages in which they were never trained. But they are speaking in languages that you were born in, and you can hear that they're speaking perfectly fluently. You know that this is a blessing from God, according to the prophecy of Joel that I've just read to you in Acts chapter 2, as Peter did. But this is from Jesus Christ, who has ascended into heaven and has sat down at the right hand of God. Was he really there at the right hand of God? Come over to Acts chapter 7. I think another deacon saw him there. Do you know who we're talking about? Stephen. Did he see him there? Yes. He saw Jesus because he had ascended up into heaven and was seated at the right hand of God. Acts 7, verse 55. But he, this is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, Acts 7.55, looked up steadfastly into heaven. It's a long way to look. Or is it? We don't know, do we? He just may surprise us sometime. I can't go any farther there either. Let's just read the, let's just read the verses. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Now, Stephen, Stephen didn't have a very good pulpit manner. When there were men that were cut to the heart and were gnashing on him with their teeth, he should have kept his visions to himself. Because, see, verse 54 says that these people were cut and were gnashing on him with their teeth. They hated him for what he had just preached because he had just told them they were uncircumcised. They didn't like that, being Jews. Now, that's what he had just told them. And he sees this vision of Jesus at the right hand of God. But you know what? I like Stephen. Do you like him? Amen. Do you appreciate his pulpit manner? If the Lord reveals something to him, is he going to tell them? He tells them. And so he tells them. Verse 56, And said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Now, brethren, would you have been afraid to rush on a man like that who had just stood and preached a message to you of absolute truth with his face shining like an angel? Who had done many powerful miracles in Acts chapter 6? They rushed on him and stoned him to death. But I'll tell you, Jesus Christ was standing there for him, welcoming him into heaven. And what a blessing that kind of strength and power can give. Stephen said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. That is the grace of God through Jesus Christ our Savior, as he beheld the Son of Man on the right hand of God. I want to tell you, the Jesus 
that walked on this earth for 33 and a half years is in heaven, and he rose there bodily and visibly. Do you believe that? Amen. Yeah. Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 and verse 8. Wherefore he saith, this is Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 4, 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now watch Paul reason a little bit inside the parentheses. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? In order to go up, you've got to come down. That's what Paul's saying. So Paul is saying the ascension of Jesus Christ proves his humiliation. The fact that he came down from heaven in order to become our Savior before he went back. So Paul just likes to squeeze everything he can out of any word of God that he gets his hands on. And so he's got these parentheses here to point out that if Jesus Christ ascended, having come from God, that he must have descended first. And he came all the way down to little Bethlehem. And we could, we could show many different ways in which he came down very lowly in his humiliation. He that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. He might fill all things, all the needs of the church. He's got all the power and authority in the universe for the sake of the church. That's from chapter 1 of the same book. Our Savior is that high. But I want to go back to verse 8. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Let's find it. Psalm 68 and verse 18. See, Paul said, Wherefore he saith. He's quoting from David in Psalm 68. Psalm 68 and verse 18. This is about your Savior. And it tells us about the ascension because it says he ascended up on high. Up on high. But the context told us how high, wasn't it? Far above all heavens. That's pretty high. <clears throat> Psalm sixty-eight, eighteen: Thou hast ascended on high. Thou hast led captivity captive. Thou hast received gifts for men. Now in Ephesians, Paul said, Thou hast given gifts to men. Here, he's received gifts. Which is true? Both. Who did he receive the gifts from? His father. Who did he give them to? The apostles and men. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Okay, back to their other words. He's ascended on high. Jesus Christ rose from those apostles and went all the way into heaven. So do you know what we're finding? The ascension was told by prophecy. The ascension was told in the Bible by prophecy right here in Psalm 68 and verse 18. He led captivity captive. What might that mean? Was there anyone that was captive and couldn't free themselves that he delivered and made them his captives? The Gentiles. All sinners. They were held captive by whom? The strong man, Satan. He defeated sin, death, and Satan. The Son of Man was manifested to destroy the works of the devil and deliver them who through, who all their lifetime were subject to, who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. He led captivity captive. I'm glad to be his captive. Amen. I was once another captive. That's right. 
Because we are taken, does it really say that? We are taken captive by him at his will, talking about the devil. In 2 Timothy 2, 25 and 26, he led captivity captive. He had his own captives to take and show the father, behold, I and the children. Now he hasn't said that with us physically there yet, but he's, he's delivered us all and he'll lose none of us. And he defeated sin. Did that have us held captive? Did death have us held captive? Did Satan? He defeated all three of those, and he took us as his captives. He calls us lots of things. Sometimes we're his son. Sometimes we're his bride. Sometimes we're his servants. Sometimes we're his captive. And I love being his captive. I'm glad he came and took me. He needed to capture me. Do you know why? Because I wasn't ready to go willingly. So he captured me, and he translated me into the kingdom of his dear son. And he gave gifts to men. Let's go to Hebrews 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Jesus Christ rose up through the atmosphere of this planet. And 2,000 years later, we're still struggling to get away from the gravity of this planet. And Jesus rose by himself straight into the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. For unto the angels hath he not put in subjection the world to come, whereof we speak. Follow with me, Hebrews 2, 6. But one in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visitest him? This one in a certain place. Who is the one? David. What's the certain place? Psalm 8. One in a certain place testified, saying, What is man, that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man, that thou visitest him? I want you to know that that's in Psalm 8, because I don't have time to go there. It's in Psalm 8, and it's right here in Hebrews 2. This is not talking about God being, God being, recognizing us all as men. This is talking about a particular man. Let's keep reading. Verse 7, Thou madest him a little lower than the angels, Thou crownedst him with glory and honor, and didst set him over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. When you go read Psalm 8, you read about God crowning and glorifying man with this power and putting all things under his feet. And it's easy to run into that psalm and think, well, this is God exalting man over his natural creation. You know, we can tame all sorts of beasts, and we can make the earth bring forth food for the sower, and we can do all these kinds of things. It's not what it's talking about. Because it's talking about putting all things under his feet. Do we have all things under our feet? How about disease? Is that under our feet? How about death? Is that under our feet? Principalities and powers under our feet? There's nothing under our feet except a little bit of the clay that he lets us walk on. There's hardly anything under our feet. But we see, what does it say here? But now we see not yet all things put under him. If we look at man, we can't see the fulfillment of Psalm 8. So we've got to go to the next verse, don't we? But we see Jesus. We see Jesus. He is the fulfillment of Psalm 8. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, fulfilling verse 7, 
for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, fulfilling, verse 7, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. We see Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of Psalm 8 and these verses from verse 6 down through 8, which is taken from Psalm 8. Jesus is the fulfillment. He was crowned with glory and honor. When was he crowned? When he ascended up before the Lord and received his inheritance. That's when he was given glory and honor at his ascension. Not at his resurrection, but at his ascension 40 days later. And God put all things under his feet and he sat down at his right hand. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, look what it says about Jesus Christ in verse 3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. When did this happen? At his ascension. When he ascended up into heaven, he was made better than the angels by a glorified position as the God-man. While he was here on earth, he was lower than the angels in his human nature. But his human nature has now been exalted above them. Far above them. Far above all of them, as Ephesians chapter 1 tells us. In his human nature. That is how great the Son of God is. How meaningful is it to you? Look at Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that Jesus Christ rose from this earth 1973 years ago and ascended into heaven? went up into heaven. Do you believe that? Seeing then that we have a high priest, let us hold fast our profession. Should this have an effect on us? Amen. Yes, it should. We should want to live a holy life and hold fast our profession that we made when we were baptized, that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is our Savior, and we're going to walk in a new life in obedience to Him. Seeing then that he passed into the heavens. When we get a true picture of Jesus Christ ascending up from this earth in his body and seated at the right hand of the pinnacle of power of this universe, there's one exception. 1 Corinthians 15 says there's one exception. What is the exception to all things being under his feet? God, who put all things under his feet, shall be accepted. 1 Corinthians 15 tells it that way. Look at chapter 9, Hebrews 9. It says in verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood. Now it's telling us something Jesus did. He entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. It says in verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God? Jesus Christ rose up, Jesus Christ, in his human nature of a human spirit and a human body, had walked on earth. He went into heaven where the focal point of the being of God is, 
and appeared before God for the first time. Are you all with me? Mm -hmm. Now, was he in close union with God while he was here on earth? Yeah. Absolutely. But did God speak from heaven to him? When he was baptized, he ascended up into heaven and came in before God. Jesus, who is our Savior. The God-man, I have paid the price. I have shed my blood. I have laid down my life to obey thee, O Father. And I have taken it up again. And here I am, without spot. Will you accept my sacrifice for all those for whom I've died? And he did that through the power of the eternal spirit. The enablement of God to be able to pass through those spaces and come into the presence of God. Was he accepted? Yeah. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Isaiah 53. I'm talking about the most stupendous event yeah. in the universe. He entered in once into the holy place and through the eternal spirit he offered himself without spot to God. Can I get your attention just a little bit? That verse that I'm reading ought to have an effect on you and me. Verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? If Jesus really did this, should it have an effect on our lives? It should change our lives. It should purge our consciences. Now this was speak, spoken to Hebrews. They were still thinking that they earned their way to heaven to some degree. And he's saying, this puts it all in the shade. Because Jesus went without spot to God and secured your salvation. But brethren, can we put anything aside for the Lord Jesus Christ? It's this world that we can put aside and offer our lives a living sacrifice to him who went into the presence of God for us having died for us and rose again. Look at verse 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Jesus rose up and went into the presence of God, into heaven, for us. For us. That's why he's there. He's there for us. Turn over to Revelation 5. I've had to cut out a number of verses. It's okay. As long as you love the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ and you're thinking of Him, He was a man. He was a glorified man. And He was God in the flesh. But He was still a man. And don't ask me to explain it beyond that. God was manifest in the flesh. But he still ate and drank, was tired, and had many of the infirmities that we have, yet without sin. That man went into the presence of God. That man knew that when he was on the cross, he had been forsaken in a way that he had never been forsaken. But did he have faith? Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. That is faith when he had just said a little while earlier, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then he rose up and came into the very presence of God. Was it good enough? Of course it was. Did he know it was good enough? Yes, he did. Don't think that he was there with doubts. 
he was there with the full confidence of absolute faith given to him by God, and the Lord accepted him for us. And do you know how we get to see a picture of this in Revelation 5? Remember 12? We read about the woman that brought forth a man-child, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Do you remember that from Revelation chapter 12? And he was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, and when he began ruling, there wasn't room enough in heaven for him and Satan. Satan was cast out of that place. Michael and his angels threw out the devil and his angels. And then a loud voice proclaimed, are you with me from Revelation chapter 12? A loud voice proclaims, now is come salvation and strength and power. The power of his Christ and the kingdom of his Christ is here because Jesus was now king, seated on his throne far above all principalities and powers. That's Revelation 12, and that's the picture that God wants you to have of what happened at the end of his ascension when he came into the presence of God. But brethren, the most beautiful one of all is right here. And we don't have time, so let me read quickly a few verses. Revelation 5, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. Him that is sitting on the throne. Daniel would call him the Ancient of Days. Jesus would call him Holy Father. Holding the everlasting covenant, brethren, with seven seals on that covenant that no man could open. This covenant isn't for angels. There's angels all around. This isn't for angels. This is for men. Do you know what it has in there? It has your name in there. Do you know that? It has your name in it. Your names were written in that covenant before the world began. That is, This is the everlasting covenant. How do I know it's the everlasting covenant? Because everything in this chapter has to do with the slain lamb and salvation and the blood of Jesus Christ that redeemed our souls. That is the everlasting covenant. On the outside of it are the seals that when they're pulled off, they bring judgments on the earth. But, brethren, when that book is opened, it is the book of life, and it has within it the names of all the beneficiaries of the everlasting covenant and all the blessings and riches of the everlasting covenant. Life forevermore. And I saw a strong angel. I thought they were all strong. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book? and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. Brethren, if all the benefits of saving us from hell were wrapped up in that covenant, no man could open it, so that the benefits could be revealed, our names could be called, we're lost. Do you understand that? John's weeping. We're lost. And brethren, I'm telling you, there's a day coming where you're going to love that you've had this word picture. There is a day coming where we're going to stand before God in one nanosecond of time. You're going to be stripped of every pretension that you've ever had and reduced to absolute nakedness before the holiness of God. And he's going to pierce all the way through your soul. There won't be a nook and cranny of it hid from his view. He's going to know everything about you and you're going to stand in utter confidence and joy because Jesus Christ is your Savior. 
if you'll listen to me tonight, and God will have mercy on your soul and fill you with faith. Otherwise, you'll be terrified in that day. Because the heaven and the earth are going to flee away from the face of him that sits on that throne. John sees that covenant there. And you know what John knows? That that book that is in his hand is all that stands between him and eternity in hell. Are you all with me? And eternity in hell. Who is going to be able to open the book? No man. That's why we have verses like this. There is one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. That's why we have verses like this. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. The name of our Lord Jesus Christ. While John's watching and there's no one there, what's happening in the interstellar spaces? Do you love the, Do you believe it? Yes. What's happening? While John's watching... Of course, this was later. This was a picture for John to give you of what was happening. But taking the picture for the way the Lord's presenting it to us, what's happening? Is someone coming? Those disciples are rejoicing in Jerusalem because they saw their Lord leave this earth. And brethren, he came into the presence of God. Let's read about it. And one of the elders saith unto me, here's a man full of faith. Weep not. Behold. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. That is the gospel. That is the gospel right there. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. How did he offer himself to God? Through the eternal spirit. He offered himself to God. And he comes in as a lamb in what condition? Slain. This is a word picture for us. A slain lamb, which was the sacrificial system symbol of the religion of the first 12 elders. It's also the sacrificial symbol of the last 12 elders because we have one lamb. And tonight we offer, we have a memorial service for the offering of that one lamb, Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. A man, the man Christ Jesus. The man Christ Jesus came into heaven in his human nature, a human spirit, and walked up to the throne of God. This is as close as we can get to understanding it. It's greater than this. This is reduced for us to be able to handle it. Paul went there. He saw things that couldn't be uttered. These are uttered. He walked up to the Lord and took the everlasting covenant because he had shed his blood on the cross of Calvary, which we are about to celebrate, and he could take that covenant, which has your name written in it, and it's always had your name. And it has all the blessings that you're going to enjoy for eternity. And you know what the rest of this chapter is, don't you? It is just wide open praise. 
that filled the universe because this is the one of the climactic moments of the entire universe is God manifesting the wisdom and the power of God in saving sinners. Because there is a man that was found that could open the book, the man Christ Jesus. That is our salvation. Do you think you could listen to the last part of the Messiah, worthy is the lamb that was slain, and enjoy it? You should be able to. The, the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ should cause us to leave our dead works and to serve the living God. But I want, you, I want to turn you to one last place and we're done. John 14. John 14. Do you believe all that I've told you so far? Amen. Are you going to believe this one? It's one step better. Okay? There's another dissension. Are you going to believe this one with me? This is the hope of the believer. This makes men able to go to the stake and stand there without chains. John 14, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Oh, what comforting words. He was the one going to the cross. And he says, Let not your heart be troubled. They were troubled that he was leaving them. But he came back, didn't he? In just three days. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, Amen. that where I am, there ye may be also. Do you believe that one? Amen. He's coming back for us. Do you believe that he ascended up into heaven? He's coming back. He's at the right hand of God. He's taken that everlasting covenant. He's got it in his hand. Our names are going to be found there, and he's coming back for us. He would have told us. Do you know why? Because he's lonely. Now, you don't... Is that sacrilegious? Oh, no. Didn't I already tell you tonight in Ephesians chapter 1 that it tells us we are the... We are the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Without his body, he is empty, the man Christ Jesus, because he died for he lived and died for a purpose of gathering together in one all the elect children of God. We are his fullness. That where I am, there ye may be also. He's coming for us. If you believe the ascension, he's coming back. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.